Good morning, church. Welcome to the first week of 2015. I'm not preaching today. Anyway, um, I'm going to read uh, Romans chapter 14, verses 16 through 23 for us today. And if you want to open your Bibles, or I think you can follow along on the screens there. So, And it reads, Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. It's the word of the Lord. So God, we just came, we come to you this morning, this first week of 2015, and the word is expectancy. Lord, that we would live expectantly in 2015 to see the mighty and great things you will do. Lord, awaken us and we will be awakened. Guide us and we will be guided. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would open up this word this morning to us, that we may walk in a deeper way with you today and each day for the rest of our lives. Thank you, Father, that your word does not return void. Father, I pray as Pastor Jackie shares with us right now that your spirit would impart the wisdom of God through your servant. And we ask these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as we... Ooh, I'm hot. Usually Kathy says that, but I just thought I'd throw that out there for you guys. <laughs> as, we, uh, as we take a look at, at what it is that the Lord has for us here, as we, we're, I think, I don't know how long we've been. We've been in Romans 14 for a while. So since we have, I have a little review for you that we'll work our way through, hopefully, that'll, that'll remind you where we've been coming from. But we're in the section of Romans from chapter 12 to the end of Romans, where we're looking at the practical application of all the things that went before. And it's, it's uh, the idea, the concept that we're looking at is the practices of the righteousness of God. Or, or maybe a, a better way to lay it out would be expressions of God's righteousness in our life. Uh, what kind of expressions 
of God's righteousness, that we've been justified, sanctified, glorified, that we're secure in our, in our salvation with the Lord Jesus Christ, what we saw in Romans 1 through 8. And then as we come now, what, 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 what evidence of that should we see in our life? The practical things that ought to be pouring out of our life. And, and there are several of them that I want to remind you of. The first one is real dedication. That we should have real dedication. And we see it in, in Romans 12, verse 1. You guys remember when we were there? It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That is, to me, real dedication to the Lord. No, There's no half measures if you're a sacrifice. Right? If you're the barbecue, you're committed. You're all in. So this real dedication we talked about. The next thing that we talked about as we worked our way through 12 was real love expressed in our lives. Remember he told us, let love be without hypocrisy. Not fake love, not pretend love, not wearing a mask like we care about each other, but real love. The Bible told us in Romans chapter 5 that the love of God is poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit which is given to us. So we should see expressions of that real love. Not hypocritical love, real love. We should see expressions of real dedication, like that living sacrifice. If we're justified, sanctified, glorified, or we're walking with the Lord, this is not something for the super Christian. This is something for average Joe. These are things that we, we that ought to be a part of our life and who we are. Next, we talked about a radical obedience. Everybody loved this message. Radical obedience to the law of the land. You, you guys remember... When I told you you gotta be obedient to the powers that be, we gotta listen to the government, cause I got lots of letters after that one, in case. If you actually wrote one of them to me, thank you, I always appreciate, uh, uh, your, your correspondence. But, when we looked at it, it was not, it was not one we liked, but the Bible says there's a radical obedience to the law that's in the, in the life of a believer when Jesus Christ is, is living within us. And he, and he laid that out for us. If we look at Romans 13, verse 1, it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So, when we are radically obedient to the law of the land, we are being radically obedient to God. But he also, in that concept, he's, he's laying out for us this, this idea that we'll, that we'll be subject to it, and that we'll support it. Remember we talked about taxes. But ultimately that we satisfy it when we live out love in our lives. That's what he told us in uh, chapter 13 verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Radical obedience to the law. is accomplished not by us making a list of do's and don'ts and this is how I should be and that's how I should be, but simply by loving each other. We don't steal from a person if we love them, right? There's things we don't do. We don't, we don't commit adultery if we are living a love out loud. So love fulfills the law. These are expressions of the righteousness of God that we talked about from chapters 1 through 8 being lived out in our lives from 12 through 13. And then we, then we came into to chapter 14. This is where we've been for a while. And, and so I want to remind you. Now we're talking about real liberty. Now real liberty is not a license. And sometimes people got that concept. So I, I hope to be able to flesh that from your minds. 
liberty. That means you're free in Christ. That, that, that food and days you worship on don't commend you to God. The scripture tells us that. Not one kind of eating is more holy than another kind or vice versa. None of those things commend us to God. So he's, he lays out for me, chapter 14 is like the deciding chapter to, to help us understand what is it that Paul means when he talks about liberty. Well, there's, there's, there's probably three or four things that we'll pull out. But some of the things that we've discussed already is this. Our liberty in Christ excludes us from judging others over doubtful things. It means we, we, we shouldn't be arguing with each other over non-essential issues. Like what you eat. What day you worship on. Those are specific examples that he's going to go over here. But I would, I would take it out to be how you worship. Um, what, what style of music, and all that stuff. Enough for us to judge one another over or argue over. So you're free not to do that. You're free to stop judging in those regards. In fact, he says in, in verse 1, he tells us to receive a brother who is weak in the faith. In other words, his conscience is bothered by these other things. He's the one who is weak in the faith. But don't dispute with him over doubtful things. Life too short to argue over those things. If, if he's convinced he should do this, then let him do it. It's okay. We don't have to be wrapped around the axle over it. In verse 13 of chapter 14, he kind of sums up the thought. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. So the key, you are free not to trip your brother. You are free not to be a problem to Him. You are free not to judge Him. Now maybe those aren't the kind of freedoms you're looking for. But that's what you're free in Christ. That's what your freedom in Christ is about. It's about others. I can show you places throughout Scripture that your freedom is all about you not caring about yourself first, but others. Reaching out to them. Loving on them. And so, our freedom, our liberty, should exercise love toward others. That we should be exercising that love. And that's what it's been all about. We, I know we get tripped up over whether you eat meat or you don't eat meat, or you eat vegetables or you don't eat vegetables. Those were issues that Paul was dealing with that were important in his day. You could put anything in there for the meat and the, and the days of worship that you want to put in there that's not specifically spoken of in God's Word clearly. That we can argue over. And so we want to express love to one another. We want to allow people, if that bothers their conscience, then I'm not going to do it with that. If I'm with that brother, I'm not going to try to fix him. I'm not going to try to say, you know, I I need you to eat more bacon. I don't know what your problem is. He says, no, I'm not going to eat bacon. I don't want to eat bacon. I'm not okay with eating bacon. I have a problem with bacon. And every time I get together with him, I say, man... You got to eat more bacon. We got to spend more time. You come over to my house. I'm going to feed you bacon until you're done with this, this weirdness that you have with bacon. That's two things. If I do that, I'm not loving my brother and I'm causing him to sin. What do you mean? Well, if his conscience says that eating bacon is evil and he does evil, what is that? That's sin. So the point is, it's not my job to fix him. If that's where his conscience is, if he's a brother, he's got the Holy Spirit in him, the Holy Spirit can guide him and direct him and lead him, can he? So I, it's not my job to set him free from his hang-ups. 
That mean, doesn't mean I have to change my whole life. If I'm sitting at home and I want to eat a bunch of bacon, I'll eat a bunch of bacon. But if that brother's over, I won't. This is exactly the attitude of life that Paul had. So are free. We're free to express love to each other. Not to try to change each other into, into coming alongside. I'm not talking about sin. You guys get it. I'm talking about non-essentials. Food doesn't save you. Everybody understand that? Food doesn't save you or send you to hell. But sin can. I'm not talking about sin. I'm not talking about something that the Bible specifically forbids. I'm talking about those doubtful disputations. We don't waste our time trying to change it. We allow each other that freedom within the body that we express that our journey with the Lord in whatever direction we're in together in that way. The last thing we'll see today as we get to to the end of the chapter, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can make it, is that we are free to experience discernment of ourselves. Now, when we, when we did communion, we talked about if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Let me tell you one of the big problems in the church. The big problems in the church is pointing its finger at everybody else and not pointing its finger at itself. So, while there is issues, there are things that we, that we, that we gotta be aware of out there. But the Bible's very clear. Before I can be aware to deal with all those things, what do I gotta do with me? I, I better, I better get the log out of my eye before I try to take the speck out of a brother's eye. I gotta deal with myself. I am free to have discernment over my life. To look at my life, to take to take, uh, uh, what's it called? Where'd Howard at? What's it, what'd I call it? Inventory. Thanks. You didn't even know. But anyways, thanks. Um, I'm free to take inventory of my life and go with using discernment. You know what? It's time for that to go. That's That should be part of our our normal, everyday walk with Christ. That's what we're free to Everybody's worried whether they're free to drink or they're not free to drink, or I'm free to party, or I'm free to talk any way I want to, or I'm free to go wherever I want to go. It's not in the Bible anywhere. You're free to love your brother. You're free not to judge your brother over dis, uh, uh, doubtful disputations. And you're free to have discernment over yourself. And the areas in your life that God is saying, don't do that. And if you do that, whether the Bible calls it sin or not, if God's laid it on your heart and you do it, that's sin. That's where our freedom is. That's what our freedom is all about. And so I wanted to just come, as we look at verse 16, chapter 14, and, and, and it's, to me it's like, <clears throat> Paul, as he's gone through all these issues, he says, now let me tell you what's really important. What's really important, because if you look at your Bibles, and we go through, especially through Romans, but everywhere in the Bible, Bible argues. Yeah, have you noticed that? It'll lay out a statement and say, but you say, and then blah, 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 and then, but, but they say, blah, 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 blah. It, it argues with itself. Why? It wants you to engage your mind. It wants you to engage your will. It wants you to engage all of who you are into understanding who God is and what God's looking for in our life. It wants us to be a part of that revelation that God gives through His Word. So that we can understand what he's saying. So he says, therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. Now, how is it that your good could be evil? 
If you're using your good, your freedom, your liberty to cause your brother trouble, now what is good for you is evil. He's going to describe it to us because sometimes we get so hung up on what it's okay for us to do. What is our rights? Do I have the right to do this? Do I have the right to do that? But he says, don't let your good be spoken of as evil because why? The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not about what you eat or what you drink or whether you drink. That's not the kingdom of God. And so the, the focus is get your eyes off of all that other garbage and put your eyes on the things that God is trying <clears throat> to lay out for us that we can grasp. Look, the kingdom of God is, whenever it talks about the kingdom of God, I, I, occasionally I get questions about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ. And so if you're some of those guys who have asked that question, Jackie, what's the difference? Well, I'm going to tell you. So, there's no difference. It's the same thing. Same thing. Why? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. When we talk about the kingdom of God, this is what we're speaking of. The current and future reign of God. Not the realm. He's going to come back and he'll take the realm. That hasn't happened yet. Revelation 19, I cannot wait. That'll be such a great day. Okay, but until that time, he still reigns. And that reign should be evident in our lives, right? We say, is Jesus Christ my Lord and... Oh, see, you guys know it. What does it mean to say, is He my Lord? It means He's my sovereign. He's my master. He's my king. That's why Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? That's like saying, you're my king, but I'm not going to listen to you. But then I'm not your king. So, so He's saying, He's laying out His kingdom... It's His reign in our lives. His reign. And so in Ephesians 5.5, 5, it says this, For this you know, no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom, singular word, in the kingdom of Christ and God. Ephesians 5.5, 5, kingdom of God, kingdom of Christ, it's all the same. The kingdom for the Messiah, when Jesus Christ rules and reigns, is the kingdom of God. Why? Because Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. We're we're talking about the same thing. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ. So the, the point is this. Wherever the Holy Spirit is holding sway in our lives, conquering our sins or our struggles and producing righteousness in our life, wherever that's happening, then we have what he described as the kingdom of God. Now, what did he describe as that? What did he lay out for us? He said, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So wherever the Holy Spirit is reigning, wherever the kingdom of God is establishing your life, and, and in my life, and in our body, and in, the, in, in our church, and the church in, in Buell, wherever that is going on, what matters is there's righteousness, peace, and joy. Not whether or not you can drink, or what you can do, or what's okay. That doesn't matter. What matters is where Christ reigns, where He rules, where He is Lord. There's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
being and allowing and experiencing all that the Holy Spirit has for us brings, it produces, it conquers strife, produces peace. It conquers sin, produces righteousness. It conquers joylessness, produces joy. See, most of the time in the church, we're struggling in those three things, but we're spending all our time arguing over stuff that does not matter. We are recognizing in our life, I'm struggling with sin and I'm having a hard time walking in righteousness. Well, then what needs to occur is the Lord Jesus Christ needs to reign in your life. And I'm, I'm struggling with peace. If everything in my life is all topsy-turvy and messed up, then we need to allow the Lord Jesus Christ to reign. Because where the Holy Spirit reigns, there is righteousness, peace, and joy. So instead of worrying about what is it okay for me to do and still get into heaven with a little bit of burns on my heels and smelling like smoke, what we ought to do is say, man, I'm in. Lock, stock, and barrel. Everything I am, I traded. They're now all that great a deal, to be honest with you. the What I have given to the Lord is <laughs> just... Busted pieces, burnout life. He's the one who puts the pieces together. And he brings out righteousness, peace, and joy. The righteousness. The righteousness. It's interesting because as we consider those three things, just flip back in your Bibles to Romans 5. And remember, when we're talking about justification, sanctification, glorification, and the work of salvation in Romans 1 through 8, that we talked about this. When we came to Romans chapter 5, listen to what he said. Therefore, having been justified by faith, or that's the idea of being made righteous, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So in Romans 5, 1 and 2, you have the same three things being produced through salvation in your life that are being produced as you continue to walk with Christ in your life. And the key of it is is allowing that freedom that you have in Christ not to be a freedom for licentiousness or a freedom for sin or a freedom to see how far away from God can I stand and still be saved. And instead realizes a freedom to be as close to God as you can possibly get. It's a freedom to enter boldly into His throne room. To make your requests known. To lay out your heart before God. And to know He's not going to throw you out. But instead He's going to bring you in. And He's going to forgive you. And He's going to encourage you. And He's going to make you righteous. And He's going to give you peace. And He's going to give you joy. Those are the things that we ought to, as a, as a people, as a body, be striving for. We want to strive to experience that. The peace of God, the peace with God, and the joy. These are the things that are lacking. We just came through Christmas, the most depressing season of the whole year. Am I lying? If you're honest, most of us at one point or another through Christmas were depressed, we were bummed, we were heavy-hearted. But the the joy of old Saint Nick didn't didn't spread and make you just gleeful. <laughs> Let me tell you about old Saint Nick. He's like forty seven totes I got to bring in the house to put Christmas all over the house. 
far as I'm concerned, old St. Nick can stay gone, be gone, go away. I don't ever want to see him again. But Jesus Christ, he's the one who really brings righteousness, peace, and joy. Amen. It's not fabricated where we just pretend we're going to be happy this season. It's real, right? Real liberty, real freedom, real joy, real peace, real righteousness. Look at verse 18. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved of men. Whoa! I don't want you to miss it. So, sometimes I get excited about dumb things. So, he who serves Christ in these things. That word serve, it's so, so, so nice. We don't mind saying that word. Oh, I'm so happy to serve. Look, that's not what that word means. That word means slave. He who is a slave for Christ. Now I want you to understand the picture. Because that's the word Paul used for a reason. Why do you use that word for a reason? Because what does a slave do? He does what his master tells him to do. Right? He who serves Christ in these things. He's obedient to what God's telling him. He's, he's experiencing freedom to love his brother and to, and to get along with one another. And he's, and he's uh, uh, discerning his own needs and issues in his life. He's, he's growing. He's doing all those things. He's a slave of Christ. I spent a lot of time a slave to myself. I'll give you a list of accomplishments. Slave to myself. What a slave to myself got. A broken home, a broken family. I personally was was uh, responsible for uh, two abortions, and um, uh, there's n- just no good stuff. There's no good stuff when Jackie was in charge. None. At the end of it all, I'm trying to hold on to ash. Have you ever tried to hold on to ash? It just falls everywhere. That's all I got when God said, give me everything you have, Jackie. I just want all your stuff. That's what I got. When he became king, he turned all that into gold. I have a family. And I have children. And I have millions of times more than what I ever laid aside for him and we need to be reminded we need to be reminded in verse 18 when he says for he who serves christ in these things is acceptable to god you know what that word acceptable sometimes we when we translate words we we take some of the juice out of it it's um it means acceptable it means to be pleasing you're well pleasing to god God, I don't know. What do you want from me? You ever said that? What do you want? What do you want from me? He just told you in verse 18. He was a slave in these things. Obedient to the things that God is laying on his heart is well pleasing to the Lord. It's acceptable. And approved of men. That word for, for approved of men means that, that, that when, when men look at him, he, he is an example worth following. And we, we, we heard Paul say stuff like this, right? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And whenever we read that, it kind of, we kind of go, oh, I don't want to say that. 
Why do we say that? Because there's junk in our life that we know God's telling us we should have cut out and we ain't cut out. And so we don't want to say it. We don't want to say it because we don't want to lay it down. Why don't you want to lay it down? What are you holding on to? Get your hand out of the cage, monkey. What? Oh, so sometimes my brain works that way. Um, when they hunt them little cute spider monkeys, you know when they want to eat their brains in the jungle? They take a little basket, a cage, and they fill it with marbles, and they stake it to the ground. Because if you ever try to catch a spider monkey, you're not going to catch them. You, unless you can swing through the trees, oh, you know, you're not getting them. So they stake this thing on the ground. And that monkey runs down and he looks at the cage and he, and he says, Oh, look at all those cool marbles. All of those. I want some of those marbles. I really wish I had those money. He sticks his hand in and he grabs them. Now he can't take his hand out. Now the hunter comes. Now if you're watching this scene, all you could say is, Take your hand out of the cage, monkey. Those marbles are nothing. You're going to end up on somebody's dinner table. Don't you know you have a real enemy who is walking around this earth seeking whom he may devour. And he has laid a bunch of those traps. And there's a lot of us with our hands in the cage holding on to some silly marble when what Christ has for us is so much better than what's in that cage. So when we come to the concept, imitate me as I imitate Christ, let go whatever you're holding on to. It is not worth it. It's not worth it. Let it go. Let it go and be well-pleasing to God and a good example to men to follow. Therefore, look what he says in verse 19. Therefore, in light of this, therefore, because of these things we've talked about, there's three of them in chapter 14, therefore, let us, what's that next word? Pursue. What does that imply? Work. Oh, come on. It's supposed to be easy. I give my life to Jesus Christ and everything falls into place and I have no more problems in my life and everything's good. If I was ugly, I get handsome. If I'm fat, I get skinny. If I have curly hair, it becomes straight. Everything that was wrong in my life will be turned around. Sometimes that's the way we treat it. What is it that he tells us? He says, pursue the things that make for peace. That implies being a part of the process, working, striving for what? Peace. For peace. Not, not another opportunity to fight or argue. It takes effort. But he wants us to pursue peace. But not only peace, what else? Pursue the things that make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. What's that word mean? To build up. So what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we, why is it when someone comes to church and they're struggling, they're struggling in drugs, they're having a hard time getting off a, of meth, or they're having a hard time uh, uh, kicking an alcohol habit, or maybe they're just having a hard time with life in general. And and we don't want to be the church that is pointing at them and telling them all the things that's wrong with their life. 
They come to church. Why did they come? They're aware things are wrong in their life. What do they need? Peace. And edification. It means building up, encouraging them. When they stumble and fall, we pick them up. What's Christ do when you fall? Comes alongside and picks me up. So what is it that I'm supposed to do when someone falls? Come alongside and pick them up. What if they've fallen 70 times, 7 times? I picked this guy up like 490 times. I don't have to pick him up anymore. Is that right? You want God to pick you up? Pick up a brother. Pick up the one who's struggling. Come alongside and edify, encourage. Come alongside and pursue peace with them. It's hard sometimes. Sometimes those exact people who are struggling and falling hate my guts. They, they want to, I get phone calls. Every time there's a smoker in Filer, I get a phone call from a guy who, who, um, is a brother who struggles to go box him in the smoker. <laughs> now, that's just dumb. There's no positive thing that comes out of that. Oh, did you see that preacher whoop that dude? Oh, that's not so good. Or, did you see that dude whoop that preacher? That's not so good either. No. So what is it that God calls me to do? Pursue peace. That's what I do. And sometimes the people we've tried to help the most end up hating us because at some point when we're reaching out and trying to help and trying to pour into them, there's a point where I realize I'm stopping something God's trying to do. And so I take my hands off. And they get mad. And they hate me. And they get angry and frustrated. But sometimes the Word of God says we got to let God do a work in someone's heart. We can't fix everything. But what happens when they come around? I'm like, oh, you guys, you treat me bad. You don't, you, as soon as things went south, you, you flipped on me. No, that's not what I do. Pursue peace. It ain't about me or my justice or what's right or wrong. It's about that person coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if God tells me to stop helping, I'll stop helping, but I will not ever stop pursuing peace. I won't ever stop looking for an opportunity to build them up, to encourage them. That's what God wants us to do. That's what you're free to do. Not about food or drink, but about what you're willing to do to help a brother. What are you willing to do to to help a brother out? Look at verse 20. This verse is like crazy. Look what it says. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Do you ever think about that? Think about that just for a minute. Just ponder that. we got a couple minutes. Ponder it. Do not destroy the work of God. Is that possible? Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Now, as I study this, there's, there's theologians and guys much smarter than me on, on both sides. And, and I don't know that the... It matters whether you're not, you can destroy it. He said it. Which means I should contemplate that before I'm expressing 
my freedom in ways that are not loving to the brotherhood, to the body. I don't want to destroy what God's trying to do in somebody's life. I want to, I want to do the things that make for peace and the things that edify. So, he lays out for us. He says, all things indeed are pure. But it's evil to the man who eats with offense. We talked about this idea. What's the idea? If I think something is wrong. Look, uh, there's no gray. There's no gray. Black and white. If you think something is wrong and you do it, it's sin. And it's your conscience that will judge you. Because God would say, hypothetically, did you ever do something that you thought was wrong? And there's not a one of us in here that would say, oh no. Yeah. Then you sinned. You sinned against your conscience. You did something you knew to be wrong. Gray is just got enough wrong in it for me to notice. Right? Black's usually real easy. What's the problem with gray? Well, I want to do gray. And there's just a little evil. Just a little bit of evil. It's no big deal, right? I don't know. Is it a big deal? We act like it's not a big deal. Oh, it's just a little. 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 There's this, there's this lady who I will not name, who's part of our church, who uh, made brownies for kids in Castle Ford at, at the youth group. And she's talking about little evil, it's not such a big deal. And then brownies look good. She said, look, I, I brought you guys these brownies, but let me tell you what I put in it. Just a little dog poop. Just a little. But how much is a little? Eh? Look, if you got to ask that question, there's other problems you're dealing with. You can go down to the store and get a box of brownies, make them yourself without any of that in it. Yeah, I don't want that. I don't want a little. No gray. That's what he's talking about when he talks about this concept. There's no gray. It's black and white. If you think something is evil, don't do it. If your brother thinks something is evil, don't try to talk him into doing it. You're trying to talk a brother into sinning. If he thinks it's wrong, don't do it. Don't do it. It's okay. It's okay to, to, to understand that we're not all cut out of the same piece of paper. Are you guys all the same? Y'all eat the same stuff, wear the same clothes. What would it be like if you had to wear all the clothes I wear? Oh, dear Lord, please no. <laughs> yeah. We're not all the same. We don't got to be the same. Our relationship with Christ, there are things that are black and white spelled out in the Word, and there are other things that God speaks into our hearts. If He spoke it to your heart, then be faithful to what He spoke to your heart. Obey what He told you. Listen, verse 22, he says, do you have faith? Here's the key. Whatever we do, we want it to come out of our lives, out of faith. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. 
Do you have faith? Do you trust God? That's what he's asking. You have faith. For if something is not from faith, it's sin. So if you trust God and God's laid something on your heart, then do what God's laid on your heart. Regardless of what your brother's doing or not doing. God spoke to you. Have faith. Have it to yourself. Discernment in your own life. In your own struggles. In your own issues. In your own logs. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Look, what does this say about our behavior, our hearts, our faith? Does it say that our hearts are resting in God? He's my portion. He's my satisfaction. He's my treasure. He's everything that I need. Or do your actions betray a greater desire? For whatever that thing is in the cage that you got your hand in and that you're holding on to, hoping that the devil, that roaring lion, is not about to come around the corner. What does it say about our hearts, our faith? Our, our, is our faith rested wholly in God? He's my everything. That's what we've been singing. That's what we've been focusing on all morning. Is Christ enough? Or has it got to be Christ and, and, and the car or the bike or the this or the that or the other thing? Is He enough? Whatever is of faith, in our trust, in our hope, in our praise, that thing, whatever it might be, we don't want to cling to it. This is kind of where this section of Scripture gets difficult. Look, if I believe that to eat meat is a sin, and I eat it, I have sinned. I have not sinned because eating meat is a sin. I have sinned Because I did something I believe to be evil. Stop. Stop. You're free. Let it go. How many of you just went into that song? (laughs) Now, what in the world? I, I don't even know how to talk. Every time I... There's some... Let it go, let it go. Look, if something in your life is gray, talking about having discernment in your own life, considering the things that you're doing, if something in your life is gray, don't do it. But just because it's gray in your life doesn't mean it in and of itself is sinful. You get what I'm saying? It's not sinful because it's sinful. It's... I. The easiest one to pick on is drinking. I do it all the time, so I, I don't want to sound like I'm beating on a, on a drum, but it's the easiest one. I'll, so let me build a straw man. There's nothing wrong with it. Drink is not sin. When you go and you drink a beer, you did not just drink 12 ounces of sin. But if in your heart, that's gray. There's a little evil in it. And you do it. You did. And that's the point that he's making in, in Romans 14. Look, the, the, the struggle in the church and the church's hypocrisy and the things that we, that we uh, argue over and struggle in, a lot of that is, springs forth out of this concept of, 
liberty and this concept that he's laying out for us here. So these things that we, that we have in our life, that are a part of our life, that are part of different things that we do, he's telling you you're free to let them go. He's saying, Jackie paraphrase, it's okay, monkey, to take your hand out of the cage, to let go of the marble. That's holding you back. Now, while we've been discussing all this and we've been going over this, I'm sure none of you, the Lord didn't bring anything to mind specifically in any of your lives, right? There was no thing that God said, that's what He's talking about. If He did, then make a choice to be a slave of Christ. To obey the Master. To walk in obedience to what He's telling you to do. And don't get hung up whether somebody else does it or not. You guys remember when Jesus was come back. He's risen from the dead. He's meeting with Peter. You guys, everybody remember the Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three times, Peter, do you love me? You guys remember? And Peter was struggling with the idea, Lord, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to love you like, like I ought to be able to love you. And, and so... Um, Jesus tells him something. I, I think the only reason Jesus told him this was so that Peter would know one day you're going to love me enough to die for me. Because Jesus told Peter how he was going to die. He says, when you're young, you went where you wanted to go. But when you're old, other men are going to take you where you don't want to go. They're going to stretch your arms out. And Peter immediately thought of someone else. Oh yeah? Well, what about John? And Jesus said something that's so important for us to grasp. He said, what do you care if I let John live till I return? You come follow me. That is what Jesus is asking you today. You come follow me.